Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. Hey Amen. You doing well today? All right. This sounds pretty good. This sound, I'm not so sure. Superman or Batman? Superman. Put your hand up. Superman, put your hand up. Batman. Yeah. Hey, come on. Superman's cold, but is there anything colder than I'm Batman? Is there anything in the, uh, who are you? I'm Batman. Let me read it again. I don't know why. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. And do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth, even when people won't let you forget the shame of your youth. You say, huh? I, I, I grew up in this church. Well, I came when I was 12, 13. I still have occasionally some saints. I remember when you were 15 and you... Yes, I'm sorry, I was 15, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. But listen to me. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhead. Listen to me. I don't know what God is saying to somebody this morning, but if you're wearing shame, it's not from him. It's not from him. It's from somebody else. Amen? All right, grab your Bibles. Go with me. Luke chapter, you can go to Luke chapter 8 or you can go to Mark uh, chapter 4. I got a, there's a parallel scriptures in there. It's an amazing thing to me. I have been wanting to preach out of Luke 8 for a couple of weeks off the cuff in here, and I have not done it yet. But let me just say a couple of things about that chapter. There, there's an interesting picture in there where there's four things that happen in that chapter that show the lordship of Jesus. All right? He, he's, first of all, on the ship, which we're going to talk about, on the boat, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, where he calms the wind and the waves. How many know he's the Lord over nature? All right, and then when he gets to the Gadarenes, he encounters the man named Legion, the one who is possessed with many demons. And how many know he's the Lord over the demonic, right? And then he comes back and he heals Jairus' daughter, the religious man who had a daughter that was dying. And how many know he's the Lord over death? How many know he has the keys to death and hell, right? And then you see him, the woman with the issue of blood is healed, and he's also the Lord over sickness. How many know he is the Lord over everything, Right? And I want you to understand something this morning. How many know he's not the Lord who causes everything, but he's still Lord over everything, right? And, um, but I want to focus for a moment this morning on just a simple message, if you will, on the part of the scripture that is the um, storm when they're on their way to the Gadarenes. And I really believe the Lord had me preach on this this morning because I believe that all of us, have encountered or are encountering or will encounter a storm in our life. Some of you this morning, you might have one on the inside. Anybody ever had a storm that raged on the inside of you? Uh, some of you know our nation is going through some storms, that there are some winds and there are some waves and there are some ups and there are some downs and, and there's all of this. How, how many of you know there are times where you've got storms that are thrown at you that others cause? Anybody have a child cause a storm in their life? Marcus, you were the storm, all right? How many of you know that there are times in your life where there are just circumstances of life that become a storm? People die, people get sick. There's storms, right? And we're gonna talk about that this morning for just a little bit. And it's part of the Faith Is series because uh, I really felt that the Lord told me a number of weeks ago that in this era which we find ourselves, 
that we need to make sure that the church, as the church, as believers, as people of the kingdom of God, that our faith level is where it needs to be. All right? Uh, uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells what? Faith is, the ev- uh, faith is the evidence of things hoped for. I'm sorry. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. The substructure, the foundation, this is what the ancients were commended for. How many of you know that it is faith that will cause you to win an approval from God? Right? You see that all through Scripture. And so I want to talk about this for just a moment, the faith is. And today I want to talk about that, that faith is, the question is, where is your faith? That's the question. Let's read the Scripture. On that day, when evening came, he, meaning Jesus, said to them, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're dying? Don't you care that we're perishing? And he got up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Another version says, where is your faith? They became very much afraid, and they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Uh, let's t- talk about this. So here's Jesus. He's got, a, he's got his 12 disciples, his 12 followers, those 12 men that he's training and he's discipling, that he's going to leave the mission to, that when he ascends to the Father, these are the 12 that are going to be carrying on the mission. Now, on this particular day, he says to them, let's go to the other side. How many know that he was the one at this point in time that God was directing their destination? How, how many believe this morning that God orders your steps? How many of you believe this morning the Bible actually says that? That the Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that every step you take hasn't been ordered by the Lord? <laughs> Trust me, there are steps in my life that God had nothing to do with. There are steps in my life that I have taken that God says, don't take that step. I got this, God. I got, I'm, I got this, right? And, and I also believe this. Understand something. There are some things, like, like for, for instance, let me give you an illustration. This afternoon, in about three or four hours, there's a chance I'm going to go golfing. As a matter of fact, there's a really, really good chance I'm going to go golfing. Matter of fact, probably a 100% chance I'm going golfing. And let me tell you what I think. I don't think God cares one way or the other. I, I, I mean, I think he just says, okay, you want to go golfing? Go golfing. It's okay. Cool, man. Go have fun. Now, I do believe this. How many of you believe there are times where God may put it upon me and say, no, don't go golfing. I want you to go do this. Okay? We need, how many know we need to be open for the direction of the Lord? And yet, how many know that we don't, this is going to sound terrible from a pastor, but I don't have to, like, be in turmoil over every step I take. Can I, give that, can, can I get an amen? Like, in other words, there are some things I can just do, right? And so I don't think I need to go fast and pray and ask God if I can go golfing. I, I'm, you're laughing at me, but I got people who do that stuff. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're crazy? Like, I, I, when I counsel marriages, sometimes everything, and in the marriage counseling, everything that comes out of the mouth is spiritual. To which I say, would you stop spiritualizing everything? And then they look at me like I got three heads. I said, listen to me. 
You're way, I'm just telling you that you're trying to over-spiritualize this, and I'm telling you not everything is spiritual only because I'm saying this. I know lots of people who don't know Jesus that have a good marriage. Okay? You're hiding behind your spiritualism. Okay? So all I'm saying is that we need to understand that there are steps he directs, there are steps he just says, go ahead, and there are steps that we've taken and he's trying to stop. On this particular day, there is a God-intended destination for their lives, and that God-intended destination is the other side of the Sea of Galilee, right? All right, now, so let's understand something. How many of you believe today that there are moments in your life that God has a God-directed destination, that he wants you to end up somewhere in your life, right? Okay, now, on this journey, but let me tell you what happens. On these journeys to where God is taking us in life, how many of you know we face opposition sometimes? Because let me tell you what. If nothing else, understand this. You have an enemy of your soul. The last place he wants you to get to is where God wants you. Right? All right. So now here they are. They're on this journey. A storm arises. They are going to die. They're fighting for their lives. But I want us to understand this, that God-directed destinations are also God-protected destinations. Right? When you read the Scripture, you will see ample times over and over men and women who had a destiny defined by God that somebody tried to come against, but God protected that destiny. All right? Let me give you an illustration. How about Joseph? How many of you believe that Joseph had a destiny that God wanted for him? And there was multiple times that that destiny was tried to be stolen, but God protected it. David was a man with a destiny. And, and he stood before the giant, and Saul was throwing spears at him, right? And on and on. But yet God protected that destiny. Moses, Moses was a, man, a, a boy that was born, and he was supposed to have been killed because Pharaoh gave the order to kill all the male-born children. And what happens? His, his parents put him in a basket, to protect him because there was a God-protected destination. One of the things I can tell you this morning is that when there's a place that God wants you to end up in your life, he will provide the protection for you to get to that place. All right? And, and I can show you over and over and over about this in Scripture. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says, let us go to the other side. You know what that is? That is a prophetic declaration out of the mouth of Jesus. We're going somewhere, guys. Where are we going? We're going to the other side. If Jesus says you're going to the other side, how many know you're going to the other side? Right? If Jesus says, let us go to the other side, he's not saying, you're gonna, I'm going to get there, but you're not. Right? He's not saying that, that you're going to get there and I'm not. No, no. We are going to go to the other side of the lake. It is a prophetic declaration out of the mouth of Jesus that says, here's where we're going to go. I want to suggest to you this morning that that's how you and I walk every day. How many believe the presence of Jesus lives in you? How many believe the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of the living God, lives inside of you? And he is the abiding presence. He's the paraclete. He's the counselor. He is the one who's our guide. He is our teacher. How many know he wants to walk with us on a daily basis? All right? And so we're going where he goes. We, he goes where we go. He wants to direct our paths, right? Have you ever had one of those moments where he interrupted your day? Like you were going here and he said go here? Hmm? I, I told you this story before. I'll tell it to you quick. I love this story. All right? This is a long time ago. Like probably 18, 19 years ago, and I'm pastoring here. And, and I'm in my office on a Saturday, and I'm getting ready for the message, and I'm preparing, and I'm all spiritual. 
When God drops it in my heart that I'm supposed to go find this guy who goes to our church who's dirty, unclean, unshaved, wears dirty clothes, and I'm supposed to find him, and I'm supposed to take him and get new clothes. To which I promptly said, no, I don't want to do that. Spiritual. And how I many know, I just fought with him about it for a little bit. Finally, I give up, because I mean, you, know, you cannot win an argument with God. And so I give up, and I, I leave the office, and I said, okay. I know which way he walks, and I know where he goes all the time, and so I'm going to go in that direction, and if I see him, Lord, then fine, I'll stop, I'll do it. So I'm driving up the road, yep, don't see him, yep, don't see him, nope, nope, yes. <laughs> I know, you people of faith are much different than me, you know, right? And I'm like, yes, not right. And so then I hung a left to go a different way home at that point, and I hang a left, and I get down a half a block, and I go to hang a right, and I'm like, oh, no, there he is. You see, I went on the way that he normally goes, and he wasn't there. So then I went in a way I normally don't go, and there he was. How many of you think God might have been in this? Right? So I go, hey, where are you doing? I'm going down to the dollar store to get toilet paper. Get in. So he jumps in. I said, you know what? I said, man, I said, how should I go get some church clothes, like some nice clothes? Want to go get some clothes? Yeah. Sure. Value City was still in business. So we went to Value City and we began shopping. What do you want? You want, you want a pants, shirt? You want a suit? What do you want? I think I'd like a suit. Okay, we'll get you a suit. Right? And he picks up this first one. Oh, it was as bright as could be. Like it made bright look dull. I said, buddy, I said, buddy, I said, I don't know, man. That thing looks like it's charged with batteries. You might want to get a different one. So he said, okay. And he picked up and he said, that has batteries too, doesn't it? So then he gets a nice navy blue shirt, or blue suit, right? I don't know what size he is. So we got to go into the dressing room. There's some things you just don't want to see. I'm just telling you. Okay, this pair. They don't fit. This pair. They don't fit. Three pairs. Okay, okay, we got the pair that fits. All right, good. Get a shirt, got a tie, got shoes, got socks. We got the whole deal. Problem is, it's Saturday. It's too long for him. Sleeves are too long. Pants are too long. I call my mother. Hey, I need a suit altered for tomorrow. I would normally do something even that on my own. She says, what? I said, I need a suit. And I told her why. So we took him up to the house, and mom cuts hair. I said, why would you like a haircut? He got a haircut. He had this beautiful hair, didn't he? Beautiful hair. Couldn't see it for all this, you know. Beautiful hair, right? And he got a haircut, and he got a shave. And the next morning, he showed up at church in that suit. Look like a million bucks. And I can hear people out in the hall, hey, you look so awesome. You look so great. And he's just beaming. You look great. And then he wore it the next week. And the next week. And the next week. <laughs> All right? But the point was, it wasn't, it was, I mean, the point I'm making is there are times in your life where God will give you a word that he wants to interrupt your day and take you to a different place, in a different destination. The question is, are we willing to hear the word of God? You see, when Jesus says, let's go here, how many know the Holy Spirit is living inside of you who will help direct your paths, right? Now, here's what I want to I'm going to bring a couple points out. So first of all, let us understand there are times where he's making a statement, and it's a prophetic declaration of what he intends. But listen to me for a moment. There are times where a God-directed destination may demand that you leave the crowd. The Bible says, and leaving the crowd, they took Jesus with him. The fact of the matter is, God has an intended destination for us sometimes, and that intended destination is going to be apart from the crowd we're used to. The question is, am I willing to leave the crowd to get to that destination? 
Let, let me give you a little bit. Let me give you some crowds you might need to leave. For some in this house, it might need to be that you need to leave a crowd that doesn't know God. Now, listen to me. I'm not suggesting for a moment that we would not have relationships with unbelievers because we need relationships with unbelievers so unbelievers find Jesus. What I am suggesting, there might be a season of your life to get you to a certain place. He says, you gotta leave that crowd for a season. Well, I promise you this. The Bible says this in Corinthians. Paul says this. He says, bad company corrupts good character. Can I get an amen? amen? How many of you ever hung out long enough with bad company that has corrupted your ways? Right? And so there is this time and a place and a season where you're going to be called from leaving that crowd because you don't belong in that crowd anymore because God wants you to go where they're not going. But let me go over here. But also there's a crowd we need to leave, which I'm going to call the carnal Christian crowd. Hey, that rhymes. That, no, rhyme. that sounds good. Carnal Christian crowd. CCC. You need to leave the carnal Christian crowd. They are those who profess to be Christians but have no faith. They profess to be Christians, but they will not think with the mind of Christ. They will only think with the mind of man. We will only think with our reasoning, our thinking, and faith is left out of the equation. You will never get to a God destination without faith. You will never get to a God destination without faith. It's just impossible. And you will never get there on carnal thinking alone, carnal acting alone, carnal ways alone. You must leave the carnal crowd who professes to believe believers but really have no faith. Right? The question is, are you willing? The question is, are you willing to? The question is, what crowd do you need to leave in order to go where Jesus goes? Because there's some places Jesus goes that there's a crowd don't want to go with you. There are some places you need to go that that crowd you've been hanging with can't go there. Gideon had 32,000 men. He ended up with 300 to fight that army. 300. Right? But listen to me. See, the problem is, let's be honest for a moment. We like the crowd that thinks like us. Right? It's amazing to me. We, we sometimes want to rant and rave on Facebook. And all we're doing is appealing to the people who already think like us. <laughs> okay, don't go there. You see, what we like is we like the people who think like us because they don't challenge us. But the moment you begin to th start thinking differently than the crowd, how many of you will become the object of the crowd? You, you see... I want to remind you of Scripture. Scripture shows us that most often the crowd and the majority were wrong. Okay? Moses brings the people out of Israel. They take a vote. They want to go back to Israel. How many know the majority was wrong? Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. Ten come back with a bad report. Two came back with a good report. How many know the crowd was wrong? Okay? And on and on and on. I can go and show this to you through Scripture. Right? Um, so just because the crowd says it's good, how many know that doesn't mean it's good? What crowd do you need to leave? And now, okay, here they are. Jesus has a plan. We're going to go to the other side. And we all know that when Jesus takes you on a destination, that there's never a problem that ever arises. Because everything that Jesus tells you to do is easy. It's easy. No, there's no opposition. There's nothing. There's no hardship. Nothing. It's a, easy. Here they go. On the, Jesus wants to go to the other side. And now, all of a sudden, the Bible says there's a storm that arises that almost kills them, right? 
Because God-directed destinations often come with much opposition. It's amazing to me that some people will teach everything with God is easy. Hello? I remember talking to people not too long ago about something we did. Oh, selling a piece of property. Oh, God was really in that. It was so easy. And I got to thinking about that later. Wait a minute. So we have this theology that says because it was easy, God was in it. Boy, I'm not sure Moses would describe, uh, subscribe to that. Hey, Moses, I want you to go back and get my people. I got a God-intended destination for them. It's a promised land. And don't worry, Moses, it's going to be easy. You're going to go back there. You're going to say, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh's going to say, no problem, man, go. You want some money? Right? And then, and then, and then you're going to, okay. And it's, going to be, it's all going to be a piece of cake. No, no, he goes back there. Pharaoh does what? Tell them to make more bricks, take the straw from them. All of a sudden, they're encountering hardship because of Moses. The people of Israel are ticked off with Moses. Then he gets out into the wilderness with them, and they really turn into a bunch of crazy people. Right? Tell that to him. Tell it to the early church when they're getting beheaded and they're getting stoned. Tell them it was easy. The fact of the matter is, there's oftentimes in our life where God-intended destination comes with opposition. Right? But easy doesn't mean God's in it. It just doesn't. But let me tell you this. Difficulty does not mean God's not in it. Right? Just because it's hard doesn't mean God isn't in it. Matter of fact, I would suggest when it's a real God thing, there's an opposition to a God thing. Right? You see, I can tell and the question isn't whether it's easy or hard. The question is, did I hear the word of God? Did I discern what God wants me to do? I, I can tell you the story. Listen to me. I can tell you that, that in our lives as a church, we've had prophetic moments where God has said, go do this. Right? And it wasn't always easy. I can tell you in 2017, when I was driving to New York and God put it upon my heart, because I was, I, I, I'm going to tell the story again because I want you to hear it, that I was from the Nehemiah Project perspective, praying and different things, and I had come to a conclusion that I, we were not going to buy the former Wright Elementary School. No, it's too big, it's too much money, it's too much energy, it's going to be a headache, it's going to be an albatross, I don't want the stress, I don't want all that, and boy was I right. And then I'm driving to New York, and as I'm driving to New York, flipping the radio stations, and all of a sudden, that station, I, the Lord says, go back to that station. And I'm like, huh? Go back to that station. Okay. I go back to this station. I'm not there 30 seconds, and that guy reads the scripture. How long are you going to put off taking possession of the land the Lord's giving you? <sighs> Made a phone call. Hey. Talking about any of my guys. Need to buy that building. And I told him why. Blah, blah, blah. Make an offer. Make an offer of 100000 I get a call back. There's already an offer in on it. What? How can there be an offer on it? It has sat there for how many months? That place has been empty for how many months? And it has sat there on the market for how long? And now the day I go to offer 100000 there's already an offer in it? Hmm. I think I heard from God. I said, offer them the asking price. Tell them I need six months to close because I don't got the money. Yes. <laughs> Another God thing. <laughs> right? And, and, and we did. We bought it. Then I found out who was going to buy it, and it would not have been used for the glory of God. I promise you that. It would have been used against God. But that's neither here nor there. I know I heard from the voice of God. And it has not been easy ever since. It has not been easy to get what we need to get done. But we are getting it done, and God is making it happen because it was a God thing, not a gym thing. 
just telling you. It's not always easy. But you must hear the voice of God, right? And so, so this storm will arise because it's trying to stop you from getting to where God wants you to be, right? And here's what happens. The storm hits us. We're fighting it. We're up and we're down. We're in and we're out, right? And the storm is the very thing that caused them to question his concern for them. Don't you care that we're going to die? They look at Jesus and they said, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care about me? If you cared about me, this would not be happening. Have you ever said that to God? No honest people in here. Okay. In your life, when hardship hit, turmoil hits, opposition hit, life throws everything at you, the devil throws everything at you, that you've never looked and said, God, where are you? Don't you care? We've been there. People have been there. It can be any number of things. Losing a spouse. Losing a child. Losing a job. Financial hardship. Sickness. Disease. Where you find yourself saying, God, don't you care? And of course he cares. But in our natural being, we say, God, where are you? Don't you have my back? Don't you care? But see, here's what we need to understand. The truth of Scripture tells us. God's concern for us is the same before, during, and after the storm. It's uncongenital. It's unchanging. He cares just about as much about you when you're going through something as when you're not going through something. But what we do is sometimes we use the storm to determine how much he loves us. Don't allow the storm of your life to quantify God's care for your life. Okay? Because I promise you that when you're in the fire, he's the fourth man in the fire with you. I promise you that. The Bible says that when you go through the waters, he'll be there with you. When you go through the fire, he'll be there with you. I promise you that. Man, I love that scripture. I love that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When he looks in, I say, I see a, and that becomes, I see a fourth man. We only put three in that fire. Where'd that fourth guy come from? And he looks like the son of God. That's right, baby. Don't ever, ever think he's not in the storm with you. Right? Now, <laughs> you're going to love this. He's in the storm. <laughs> Do you ever wonder if Jesus snored? I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's leaving it up. He's in the stern. Reminds me when I was a kid, I used to go with my dad down to Prince Galitzin Park, and we'd go fishing. TJ, I went with your dad a couple times, right? And, 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 uh, but I was a young kid when I was going with my dad, and they'd go out late, and they'd fish for bass. And I can remember coming in some of those nights, 10, 11 o'clock at night, and it's cold, and I'm, I'm getting in the stern. I'm getting in there. I'm getting huddled in as far as I could and fall asleep, right? This is Jesus. He's up there. I'm out, right? And they come, and they're like, don't you care? But see... Isn't it amazing? They're fighting the storm. They're bailing water. They're trying everything not to die. And all of a sudden, in the storm, they put their focus on Jesus. You see, when you are in the storm, the temptation is to put it everywhere but on Jesus. Right now, our country is in a storm. And there are many people who are putting their focus upon the things of the storm, not on Jesus. Many people are focused on a person or a leader, this party or that party, this doctor or that doctor, this 
philosophy or this philosophy, okay? And we got a lot of that going on where, where we got our focus everywhere but on Jesus. And I would suggest to you that it's time that we get our focus fixed on Jesus. All right, because listen to me, because if we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, how many know everything else we put our eyes fixed upon is, un, is, ch- is changeable? Jesus is unchanging. Jesus is unchanging. He never changes. When you put your eyes on man, how many know they change? When you put your eyes on politics, how many know it changes? How many know when you put your eyes on parties, it changes? When you put your eyes upon the things of the world, everything in this world can be shaken. But the Bible tells me that I have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I have an unshakable kingdom, and I have an unchanging person. The unchanging king is Jesus, and the unshakable king is, the kingdom is the kingdom of God. That is where I fix my focus. Because I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, I'm going to meddle just a moment for just a bit. Listen to me. Can I just give you a suggestion? Listen, I don't know if you do this. Some have done it. Stop dividing friendships and families over temporary leaders. Politics is temporal, man. I'm just telling you, there's going to be a leader. It's going to be another four years or there's going to be a new one or whatever. But I'm telling you, stop, stop, stop dividing friendships and relationships over politics. Okay, that's enough of my meddling for the day. I don't understand it. I just don't get it. Especially in believers. The thing that unites us is Jesus Christ. We allow Jesus to unite us, but we allow this party or that party or that leader or that leader to divide us. And what it does is it breaks the unity of the church. And how many know the unity of the church is the power of agreement for the impossible? Just a thought. Okay. Go back to the message. Stop Stop. Stop it. Just stop it. In the storm, you must focus upon Jesus. You see, because here's what happens. When you put your focus upon Jesus in the storm, Jesus puts his focus on you. And all of a sudden, now, the storm gave way to the manifestation of the power of Jesus Christ. He gets up. He says, listen, I've had enough. You woke me up. I'm ticked now, all right? Right? He looks at the wind. He looks at the waves. Shut up. Be quiet. I'm trying to get some sleep around here. Their whining is waking me up. Okay, he didn't do it that way. Right? But, but listen to me. The storm gave way to the manifestation of the power of Jesus. Listen, my God still intervenes in my life. Does he still intervene in your life? Right? And so somewhere along the line, we need a manifestation of God that only God can do. If all the things that are accomplished in my life and through my life are only what I can accomplish, how many of you know I will shortchange what God wants to do in and through my life? All right? Okay. Now, so now they cry out. They cry out to Jesus. Jesus wakes up. Jesus manifests his power. And here's what a manifestation of power does in your life. It gives you a revelation of who he is. Right? All of a sudden, these guys who have been walking with him, now they look and they say, who is this? that even the winds and the waves obey him. They had a greater revelation of him after the storm than they did prior to the storm. And yet, listen to me, God did not cause the storm. I would suggest to you this morning that some of you are in a storm, and I would suggest that some of you are gonna have a greater revelation of who he is after the storm than you had going into it. Job, how many would consider Job having gone through a storm of life? All right, you know, you lose your kids, you lose your money, you lose your camels, you lose your cows, you lose all that. Your health is gone. That's a storm. 
And yet at the end of the book of Job, he made the declaration. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I got a greater revelation of who you are now than I had prior to it. And yet, listen to me, it was not God who put the storm on him. It was Satan. I have a greater revelation of who he is in some facets because of my son's death than I did before my son's death. And yet God did not, is not the originator of my son's death. Okay? I do know now that he's the one who comforts the bro- the, the, those who mourn. He binds up the broken heart. I do know now more about, hey, listen, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Like I told you before, I've told you, every day since his death, I've mourned my son's death for a moment, every day. But every day since his death, I got the joy of the Lord. And don't ask me how it's there, because I don't know. And I just say, it's there. But I got it. The joy of the Lord shall be your strength. Here, you need this. It's mine. Giving it to you. It'll be your strength. Thanks. Do you understand this morning that there are times in your life where you go through a season. It's a storm. You don't like the storm. It's not God causing the storm. But I promise you that when he manifests his power, you will know him and you will have a greater revelation of who he is after it's over. But Jesus asked a pivotal question. And the pivotal question is this. Where's your faith? Where is your faith? And that is the question of this morning. Where is your faith? And I begin to think about this. He's taking a bunch of fishermen who are used to the Sea of Galilee. He's taking them across to the Gadarenes. This is not their first gig. There is not their first boat trip, all right? They're fishermen. They understood how to sail. They understood how to navigate the wind and the waves. They understood how to navigate the storms that would arise. He says, where is your faith? And I got to thought me for a moment. I would say for a moment their faith was in their own ability. They knew what they were doing. We're fishermen. It's a wind. It's a wave. We got this. Leave them sleep. How many of you this morning have ever fought the storm in your own ability? Your faith has been in your ability to get you through the storm. Right? Anybody? Just me. Okay, I got an amen back here. I got some sheepy hands waves over here. Right? We've all at times been tempted. I got this, God. I'll get through this on my own. I know how to navigate it. And I believe with all my heart that that's what they did for a moment. We'll fight this in my own strength. I'll fight this in my own ability. I know how to do this. And yet sometimes it causes us a moment, a moment of faith will take us to a place where we have to deny our ability. What am I saying? Joshua. How many know Joshua was a bad man? Hmm? Joshua will kill you, right? He was a fighter. He was a warrior. He knew how to battle. He'd been through many battles. Every battle, every battle that they were on when they left Egypt, They were on the defensive. When they get into the promised land, every battle was on the offensive. But when they get to the place of taking Jericho, God says, hey, warrior, man of God, you're not going to fight this one. You're going to have to march around the city six times and don't say anything. Seven times on the seventh day and just shout, I'll bring the walls down. Do you know there are times it takes greater faith to not work in your ability than it does to work in your ability? Sometimes I just got to say, I can't, I, just, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this in my own strength. God, I need you to do this. Am I boring you, Troy? He's back there. <sighs> <laughs> I'll teach you. 
You see, you see what he tried to do to me this week? Okay, talking about leaving the crowd, not succumbing to peer pressure. All right, so he gets on Facebook. He's being all smart. He gets, his, his nephew nominates him for the 22 push-ups and 22 days challenge for some cause. All right, so he's on there. Okay? I think he actually, he know he's a video editor, right? I think he did, okay? I, 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 I think he did about three, cut, did another three, splice it together, three, splice it together. There's probably seven takes, but he got them in, all right? <laughs> so he nominates me. I, name him, I nominate Jim Balzano. Like, yeah, right. Are you sick? Like, first of all, I can do 22 push-ups. Jeremy, you're doing it too. You succumb to peer pressure too, all right? All right, so, so I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I ain't going to. All right, I can do this. I ain't going to do it. I ain't, certainly ain't doing it on Facebook for all the world to see, all right? I ain't going to put on some social virtue signaling that pretends I care about something I don't even know about, not to know terror. It's probably a great cause. And I'm not succumbing to peer pressure. No. So what did I do? I just flat out ignored him. I left the crowd. <laughs> Now he's back there yawning on me. Listen, where's your faith? Is it in your ability? You see, the storms of life will often reveal the faith of your life. It's easy to have faith when things are going good. Oh, God is good. God is good. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. We quote it. We say it. And all of a sudden, the storm hits. All hell breaks loose in our life. And we're like, God, where are you? And he's looking back and saying, where's your faith? Where is your faith? I don't believe it was a question. I believe it was a directive of God. Where is your faith? It's not where it needs to be, right? The storm will bring a revelation of my faith to me and to others. When you go through it, it is gonna show you where your faith level is. It'll also show those around you where your faith level is. When you come to the end of your ability, faith brings you to his ability. I got it, man, I can't do it. All about you, baby. This is your gig now. This is your show. When you come to the end of your strength, faith brings you to his strength. The Bible says that when I'm weak, he is. Isn't it funny that we want to be strong? And sometimes our attempt to be strong actually is denial of his strength. Again, I'm not thinking, suggesting we walk around, I'm so weak, I'm so this. No, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about not being self-aware. The storm will bring opposition. It'll bring a manifestation of God. It'll bring revelation of who he is. And it will bring an elevation to your faith. I promise you this. Any storm that God takes you through, you will have an increased faith more than what you had going into it. That when he brings you to the other side, you will have a greater faith than you had going in. Come on, Troy. If you don't mind waking up for a minute, let me. Listen, I'm just having fun with him. You got to be a pastor sometime having a special guest in, and you've had one of those nights, and you're sitting in the front service, in front of the, while your guest preacher is preaching, and you're going. <laughs> I will just want to ignore you stay back there, but. I dare you. <laughs> Listen to me. He is the Lord in the storm because he is the Lord over the storms. Some of you, you know what a storm is like. You have faced some storms. Even in this era of our nation, some of you have allowed your emotions to be riding on the waves of a nation that's being trying to be torn apart. 
the headlines have caused your emotions up and down and up and down. And you're reading this one and you're reading that one. And now this one's ticked you off. And now that one's ticked you off. And now this one's robbing hope. And now that one's robbing hope. And you've been riding the waves. And you feel the winds pushing left and right. Okay? Some of you have been facing some of the storms that are inside of you. Anxiety, worry, fear, past, shame. I don't know why that keeps coming up today. Shame, humiliation, the past. That storm has been raging on the inside. Some of you had the storms of life hit you. Death, sickness, finances, jobs. They're all storms. But I promise you this. He's got another side for you. He's got another side. But here's what I want you to remember about that story. What was waiting on the other side? A demon-possessed man by the name of Legion. There are some scholars who teach that the, they believe that the storm was what they called a mega storm that actually had its source and its origin in Satan. But I can tell you this much, whether it was or wasn't, the last place Satan wanted them to end up was on the other side where he had a demon-possessed man that he's controlled for year after year after year. The question is, who's on the other side of your storm that needs to see your Jesus? Who's on the other side of your storm that needs to see your Jesus and how he got you through the storm so that you can bring the power of Jesus? Do you understand they ushered the power of Jesus to the gatherings? I remember two years ago, and I remember sitting on the Sea of Galilee thinking, man, this is where they were, man. And over there, right over there, that's the Gadarenes. That's where Legion was. And that's the Decapolis where he went and spread the good news. Who's on the other side of my storm that needs a touch of Jesus? Who's on the other side of your storm that needs a touch of Jesus? You see, sometimes in your storm, you need to make some declarations of what you're going to do with it. Now, let me share it to you like this and I'll be done. Jamie and his folk and his wife Dawn go to our church. Several years ago their daughter Michaela was killed in that horrible ATV accident. And I talked to them often and this week I really felt impressed and praying with them. Prayed with them a lot. And this morning I pulled them inside the office area and I said, man, I'll just you, I've been praying for you. Let me share something with you from my own personal story. I said, you know, I, when, when you lose a child it's like a part of you dies. It's just like a part of you dies. You, you, you know, and he lost his only child, his only daughter. I lost my only son. It's like a part of me died that day. My name, hopes and dreams and, and futures you dream of, that dies. And, and then you do the funeral, Jamie, and you know what that's about. And, and you lay that body to rest like Paul talks about in Corinthians. It's a seed that is sown. And Jamie, I purposed in my heart then that when I sow a son to the earth, I'm going to reap sons in the spiritual. That when I sow my child, I sow my son, and I sow him into the natural ground, I'm going to reap spiritual sons and daughters for the kingdom of God. This storm will not be well, it will not be in vain. This storm will not be in vain. You see, it was not God who caused it. 
And so Jamie, my point is that I know a part of you died, but that's exactly what a seed does, right? It has to die and it's planted into the earth and then it gives birth fruit. And I said, I want you to, I want you to purpose in your heart that you sow the seed that you're gonna reap sons and daughters. I say to you this morning that as you go through this storm that you're in, it doesn't have to be the death of a child, but I will promise you there is fruit on the other side of that storm. But you purpose in your heart. Because if you only make the storm only about you, you will never meet Legion. There's somebody on the other side of your storm that will have an encounter with Jesus because you went through it. And that will make it not better. That won't make it all right. But that'll bring something good to what the devil meant for evil. And so, Father, we all have faced storms. Some of us are facing them today. Some of us will face them tomorrow. And anytime we're walking with you, we may face them. But this day, we say our faith in the storm is in you. It's not in my ability. It's not in my strength. It's not in the world leaders. It's not. Even as we walk through this storm that's hitting our nation, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the unchanging King, who is Lord over the unshakable kingdom. You see, because you are the one, Troy, I'm going to go to Waymaker, okay? It just hit me. Something just hit me. Now listen to me. They encountered the storm on their way to the Gadarenes, on the way to the other side. But how many know this morning, they woke up the one who was the Waymaker. There might be a storm against you. There might be a storm raging inside of you. There might be a storm raging outside of you. There might be all hell has been let loose against you. I got a promise for you this morning. He's still the Waymaker. He will get you through to the other side. Put your faith in the one who makes a way.